You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to For Fans of, a recommendation podcast from Fanside Entertainment. Today, for our last episode of the year, we're running through the best television of 2020, which kind of also just means our favorite television of 2020, but we like to think it's the best. Joining Bryce and I today are winners coming editor Dan Selke and Fanside Entertainment's pop culture luminary, Brittany Frederick. Dan, I want to start with you. Give us your top five TV shows of the year. Sure, Shay. Thank you very much. All right, so I watched a lot of TV in 2020, um, and I liked a lot of it. Some of these choices are just the things that I loved. Some of it's just stuff that kind of I couldn't not put on there by virtue of the fact that I watched so much of it. Let's kick it off with my number five pick. Perry Mason on HBO. Okay, Perry Mason is like a detective from the 50s or whatever. I never watched the old show. Your grandparents might have. Um, he's been around for a long time. I felt like the show didn't really get a ton of attention. Like it kind of came and went. But it was very, very well done. It was Matthew Reese in the main role. Acting was great. It had that like HBO sheen to it. It was a well-paced, engrossing detective story that I would watch a second season of once coming. I forgot that. So it's like a, a smaller one that didn't get enough attention. But if you have time, go watch it. You might enjoy it. Um, fourth, my number four pick, I wanted to give a shout out to, uh, The Boys, which I think was a giant thing this year. Like, everyone was talking about that in The Boys season two. I, I talked about it before, how it just kind of seemed to kind of be the show of the moment in a lot of ways, where it's this superheroes everywhere, so it's time for a good satire of them, right? And it kind of tapped into that feeling of the most powerful folk on the earth are also the worst which I think has been a kind of a theme of the past several years. It, it, it just was like hit at the right time. And the folk have a lot of fun making it. You can tell that it's kind of gleefully irreverent. Has, has, it doesn't take itself too seriously. And just a fun watch. Okay, my third pick. Third pick. I couldn't not put on, just for me, RuPaul's Drag Race. Because if we're going by like minutes watched <laughs> of TV in 2020, this was probably the most for me. Just, as the kids say, this show is my trash. It's just, it's so easy to just put on, like, whether you want to sit down to watch it attentively or just on the background. It's never not entertaining. The contestants on this show, like, do everything from dance and sing and act and do comedy and put on weird clothes. It's just, it's very, very easy to watch. And just once you're into it, there's so much of it. And that show is so franchised right now. They got RuPaul's Drag Race, RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars, RuPaul's Drag Race UK, RuPaul's Drag Race, I think they had Holland this year. In Canada, I think they had this year. That thing is exploded. There is just so much content there. And uh, so much of it is so 
watchable because the people they find like have these talents you just really don't see on television that much and it's it's it, it's it's surprising to me how deep into the franchise they are and it hasn't lost the novelty factor um and again is just the perfect thing to just you can you can pay attention to it or tune it out and it works on pretty much any level so it's just very easy to put on kind of like the great british baking show as you described it to me as in just a great show to just um approach from any angle and you'll get something out of it. Okay, my number two pick. Um, I really enjoyed the FX show Mrs. America this year. That was a mini series um, about the nascent, or I, I'm sorry, like I guess the end of second wave feminism in the 1970s. And I liked it for a lot of reasons. I like history shows and it is technically a history show. Um, but it's about a lot more than you would think it would be about. Like. It is about kind of the death of the feminist movement in some ways, like in the 70s and how it was like supplanted by Reaganism, Thatcherism. And it's also about like these individual characters that are big historical figures that they profile. Like we got Phyllis Schlafly um, as Kate Blanchett, who was a controversial figure. And there is controversy in the way they kind of um, find sympathy for her, but they balance it out with portrayals of uh, a lot of other big names at the time. I didn't make a list beforehand. I should have of all their names, but um, uh, uh, other major feminist um, luminaries of the time and just how everything was being shaken up and how this is like the last time in American history where according to the show, according to history, like feminism kind of like had a big hold on policy making in the US and how it gave way to this other uh, kind of movement that we're still basically in now. I thought it was a really interesting way to explore a big change, like a big turn that we still have not kind of swung back from really in terms of who has power in America. I thought it was just really entertaining, really well acted, really well done and um, relevant in a way that like, if you do like any historical thing well, you can find relevance in it, I think, because there's always parallels you can draw. Like, you know, basically, we're never done with history, right? History happened and then it still has ripple effects throughout. And I thought they showed it a good job of like tapping into what about that era was still resonating with us now. And it kind of drew connections that made me appreciate it more. So I liked that. And then finally, um, probably the show, the number one pick, my number one pick, is a show that I just, just makes me very, very happy whenever I watch it, is what we do in the shadows. I was late to the party on this one. I didn't see the first season, and then the second season was getting so much praise I had to watch it. And just, this is the kind of show that you would think, it sounds really hackneyed and dumb in the description, like it's like The Office, and there's a documentary crew, but they're recording vampires from their daily lives. It sounds really kind of cliche and lame, but, I'm not sure quite what it is. Like they have so much fun with the presence, with a with a with a premise, and all of the main actors are so so good, and the comedy is so fresh, and they kind of apply this big budget uh, ethos aesthetic to this like half hour dumb comedy, whereas like usually you know sitcoms or half hour comedies are kind of like a single camera or a multi a, a, a multi camera thing, and just it's kind of it doesn't look like it's anything special visually, just kind of like they walk around the set and they talk and they go to the next scene. 
And then like the hour long dramas are these big epic events with like all these sweeping camera shots and these epic fades and all this crazy stuff. And then this show is kind of combining the two in a way that is just really, really compelling and seems really new to watch. Like I, I feel like this hasn't really been tried before. And even though like the jokes, a lot of them are kind of things you would expect a vampire documentary to make, they're done with such conviction and the characters are drawn so specifically and with such kind of like absurd little flourishes. Like I'm sure the one episode where um, um, Jackie Daytona, just like a, a half hour excursion into this bizarre uh, side story where one of the main vampire characters like sets up a shop as a different, in a different life in a different town. And I kept like waiting for the plot to kick in on that one and realize like, oh no, the whole thing is just this weird side story that's gonna come to the rug at the end. Um, it's still surprising me. I want to see more of it. I think it's my favorite recently new show easily that I've seen the past couple of years. I think I'm also a big fan of what we do in the shadows. And I think part of like what you're describing, why it works is like, I, there is such aggressive like commitment to the bit where like <laughs> Jackie Daytona is like the perfect episode or like encapsulation of that where it's like, yeah, the jokes are about like blood sucking or things like that. But you're right, like, it's so specifically written, and they so, like, they, it's not that they don't let up, but, like, they're just so committed to this being, like, a story, a docu, a docu-series or whatever about <laughs> yeah. vampires in, like, the tri-state area, and it's just, it's, it's, yeah, it, I am also sort of, I'm with you, where it's, like, it constantly delights me, I, it's not that I don't think that I would think it would be funny, but, like, I always find it funnier than I anticipate, even though I know that I like the show. So it's yes. just, yeah, I am, I was excited to see that on your list. I also, though, want to jump back to Perry Mason, because I know I'm not the only person on this call who is a card-carrying member of the Matthew Rice fan club. Um, so I was very excited to see him. Rudy, aren't you a fan? Uh, I am a fan of his. I will admit I was not a fan of this show. Okay, then I'm excited to dive into that, because he was, like, the number one reason that, like, I watched him and Tatiana Maslany. I was like, I can watch however many hours. Good too. Yeah. Um, so now, now I'm intrigued, Brittany. Tell us about your thoughts on Perry Mason. Well, uh, I'm kind of coming at it from the opposite perspective of Dan. I actually do remember the original series and when Perry Mason was an actually established lawyer. And mm -hmm. so this series, if you know the canon, is basically in the complete opposite direction. And so I think for me, it just didn't mesh with what I knew about the character. Even though I knew going in it was going to be an origin story, it was still like, this doesn't feel like the same character. You know, I don't, it doesn't feel like they match. But I, I, I hung in there because, as, as Dan was saying, that the casting is excellent. I mean, Robert Patrick turned up. I will watch Robert Patrick read the phone book. Uh, who else was in there? Chris Chalk. Chris Chalk is always one of those actors I feel like needs to be appreciated more. He always turns in really good performances. So it's kind of funny because, like, almost every other episode, I was like, it's that guy from that thing. And, and so that was a lot of fun from an acting standpoint. But for me, in terms of tone, it was just, it, it didn't quite work. And then by the end, I was like, can we just, can, can you just stop now? Are we good? <laughs> so, I think it dragged on a bit too long. But I, I, I'll be interested to see what they do in season two, since so much of that was resolved in season one, and they've done the origin story thing. Now that they've made the decision to make it a regular series instead of a mini series, what are they going to do? You know, who are they going to bring in? What new story are they going to tell? since they did that pivot and said, oh, we're going to renew it. So that'll be uh, interesting to see what they do yeah. with it, I think. I think like, I, uh, liked, I liked it enough. Like, knowing it, like, it, 
it was kind of like exactly what you like the Perry Mason sort of origin or character pivot aside like it is what you would expect from like an HBO show as terms of like grittiness and darkness and like everybody on their you know supporting character call sheet like (laughs) it's all the regulars and I, I I liked it or I found it enjoyable enough but I am sort of with you where it's like I don't know where I don't know how you make it better than it is and I don't know if it was good enough for me to like really want to be really want to watch a second season I'm in a very sort of middle like gray area with it I'd assume that a second season would be like a new case right because I mean you're right it's definitely like an HBO take (laughs) on Perry Mason you know obviously the original show is in the 50s 60s it's very you know kind of case of the week um no cursing no anything that HBO does and they're going to do like the gritty version um (laughs) I'm sure that my unfamiliarity with Perry Mason helped I mean, I, I thought it was slow to start. And then by the time they had the turn with John Lithgow's character kind of mm. exiting stage left, like the, the stakes, I guess, I, I, I guess that I was more invested than I realized I was. And I was like, oh, I got to see the rest of this. <laughs> and then I like a good old fashioned courtroom scene. Like I, I also like the bit where he was um, like, had a, a dream of like how the original Perry Mason would have done it in like court and like do the <laughs> thing where the guy confesses on the stand. And then it cuts to like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Like, nobody does that. That's not how a courtroom works. I thought that was clever. And I thought the writing was like kind of slow and glacier-like almost. But by the end, I, I, I just, I realized that I was more enraptured or just into it than I realized at any point before that. And think- it wasn't like the best show of the year, but I thought it was done with enough conviction that I'm, cur- I'm also curious to see uh, where they take it next. I think that's kind of what happened to me too, where it's like, I didn't realize I was watching all the episodes because I had to for work and then mm-hmm. didn't realize until like the end, I was like, oh wait, no, like I actually am, you know, I could have taken a break and like gone and done like errands or laundry or whatever. And it's like, no, I was, I found myself more sort of sucked in than um, I thought I was consciously, I guess. <laughs> you know what it reminds me of, and I'm about to date myself again. Do you guys remember Dragnet? No. <laughs> okay, the, the original Dragnet, I'm talking about radio drama Dragnet, and then it was a black and white TV series with Jack Webb, and then I, I, shut up, yes, I'm old, we know this, um, anyway, I don't remember when exactly anymore, but ABC rebooted it with, with Ed O'Neill, this was before he, he booked Modern Family, and Ethan Embry, and kind of the same thing, like, the first season of rebooted Dragnet was actually like, okay, they're sticking to the characters that we would expect and and it was interesting enough new take on it there's like hey this is actually really interesting and like dan was saying it was kind of a case of the week cop show and i got into it and then by the second season they re they blew up the entire show cast like six new regulars called it la dragnet which is redundant and they just went we don't care anymore we're just gonna have you know instead of friday solving cases he's gonna oversee all these pretty people and they're not going to really do anything and then it was just like this isn't even the same show anymore why are you trying and I I think that's kind of the thought that I got was like good idea great cast has potential not quite sure it it, it really ties into the IP like I feel like they could have called it something else and it would have been an awesome show on its own but because it's connected (laughs) to that IP, it's like not quite there yet for for me I also feel like I mean uh, we can we can go on from this, but um, <laughs> like the, 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 there are so many shows. Like I, I like recently they said that HBO is going to do a True Blood reboot, and that's like a six-year-old Ooh. show. 
Is it? Yeah, it's happening, apparently. But like, I miss that news. <laughs> at least Perry Mason, like, I know it has been revived throughout the years and there have been movies and stuff, but like the original version is like from the 50s. I think like this reboot is at least, like there's been enough time that a newer audience is not going to be overly familiar with the original and can appreciate it for something new. Although I, I take your point about me just calling something else. But like, yeah, I like that they let it kind of percolate for a, many years before they decided to do the new version of it yeah. rather than just kind of reheat something we'd literally <clears throat> just eaten like a couple of days ago. Yeah, there needs to so be I have, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I haven't seen Perry Mason. I'm probably going to watch it now. Um, <laughs> but I have the boys on my list. So I want to know, Dan, what do you think is like the biggest reason why people should watch this show? Uh, for the maniacal thrill of it, I guess. I mean, yeah. <laughs> number one, it, it, it's, it's just sort of fun. I mean, I was talking about like the high mind of crap, like it's superhero satire. It's <laughs> about power dynamics and it is, but I mean, at the end of the day, it, it's a pretty dumb, like, you know, dumb, fun action superhero show. That's what it is first, I think. It, it, it has like a very 14-year-old boy comic sensibility, right? It's like, let's get all the blood and like the exploding heads that we can on screen and just like rush from one thing to the next. And the guy swears all the time and he has an accent and it's fun. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, it, it also has that like that little sliver of depth that really makes for like great 15-year-old boy entertainment because you can watch like the dumb stuff happening but there also is, like, obviously it is parodying Superman, and it is parodying all these different superheroes, and we are in, I'm sure you've all noticed, a superhero moment right now in uh, pop culture in general. And it does have a couple of things to say, I mean, like, not subtle things to say, but still things to say about the way sort of elites, if I can go there, sort of <laughs> dominate the world and kind of control the message through marketing and there's like just enough depth to kind of uh, keep you interested on a little bit of a deeper level while the kind of fun pyrotechnics and just like really kind of just meat and potato storytelling just makes you enjoy it while you're watching it. Yeah, I totally agree. For me, like I grew up watching Seth Rogen movies and Seth Rogen is a producer on the show. And it feels sure. to me like this would be Seth Rogen's take on like, superhero movies which he was also a part of i believe and also was bad <laughs> so it's just like a, with the green hornet right so it's it's interesting uh in that way too um i think i like it's like real world parallels and like how timely it is as well um if it's it were done right in a different for this show i think yeah yeah exactly i don't know if it plays even close to as well like say even in the future, like, I feel like someone yeah. was going to do it anyway. So it's like, it had to be perfect timing. I remember at Comic-Con last year, like, going, I didn't even know what the show was, but it was, like, all over, like, very big deal. And then I watched it, and I was like, oh, man, this is, like, my show. I watch every week now. It's, yeah, it's just perfect. And coming back it's for a fun. new season. Yeah, totally. And I will 100% watch Down for More Superhero Satire Vulgarity. For sure. I feel like your list gave us a lot of uh, a variety of, of choices for different moods, and I'm I'm excited to pick and choose from it. I That's think true. the boys would be my my is most well, the boys and RuPaul are the two that I haven't watched from your list. 
And I think the boys might need to be my next like concentrated watch, and then RuPaul it's will be more manageable. Certainly, I mean, <laughs> have you not watched any of RuPaul's Drag Race? Because like I, I, I tell you, there's like I think there's like twelve seasons now, and five All Star seasons, and a UK, and a Holland, and a Canada, <laughs> and a Thailand. Like, I start. I need like I need this. My other friend that really the I should have done this in March. I had a friend that watched like really started watching like all the Survivors, and like that was just. Right what he and his girlfriend were doing through like quarantine. Oh, yeah. um, so I should have done that with RuPaul's. All right, Brittany, I want to hear from you. Give us your top five. Well, I actually started watching a lot more unscripted, I think especially because we had a delay in scripted shows coming back. Fifth on my list is the Misery Index from TBS. If you guys haven't seen this, because it does air at 10.30 on a Tuesday, which is an odd slot. The whole premise of the show is laughing at miserable things that happen to other people. So it was oddly comforting in a year in which we are all miserable to laugh at other things like guy finds wife cheating by using Google Street View or, you know, people who have stuck things in places that they don't go and, and all these just really bizarre stories. You could just feel like, okay, I'm having a miserable time, but that's worse. So at least that didn't happen. Uh, and also the panelists on the show are the Impractical Jokers who I have loved from the beginning. So to be able to make fun of things that are more miserable than my life and, you know, to have them in my home every week to, to laugh at it with me, it was like, okay, I don't feel so terrible about this year now. Um, then what really got me was my fourth pick, uh, the Jeopardy, the greatest of all time tournament. I got way more into that than I was expecting. I thought, okay, this will be a fun little gimmick. And I, I watch a little bit of Jeopardy. You know, I'm, a, I'm a Ken Jennings fan. And then it became after night one, no, seriously, who's going to win this? I don't know. Like, we really have to figure this out. The, the banter between the three of them, uh, Ken Jennings, Brad Rutter, and James Holzhauer was absolutely hilarious. They were downright savage to each other. Uh, then there was just weird things happening, like Brad Rutter landed on every daily double in the history of all three nights. I think he hit every single one, pretty much. And and so it became entertainment. It wasn't just three smart guys answering trivia questions. It was funny, and it was fun, and it reminded me why I love Jeopardy. So that was a real pleasant surprise. Um, <laughs> then I got into some really serious stuff. I love shows that I have to actually take a minute and think about and kind of dissect. Uh, Manhunt Deadly Games, which is the second season of Manhunt, you probably missed it because it was on Spectrum originally, but CBS picked it up this fall. It's their dramatization of the Richard Jewell case. Uh, didn't get a lot of attention because, you know, that was around the same time the movie came out too, but the show is actually much better than the film. It has some great casting. Cameron Britton from Mindhunter, uh, Bryce and I have talked about this, played Richard Jewell, does an amazing job at bringing some real nuance and real depth to what he went through. Gethin Anthony plays the lead FBI agent in that, which I found hilarious yet awesome because the last time he was on network TV, he was playing Charles Manson and killing a bunch of people. So it was really nice to see him chasing the guy that was killing a bunch of people. And, and I was really happy with that. Desmond Harrington from Dexter pops up playing the director of the FBI, who I hadn't seen him in a while. So it was one of those shows, it was cool to see their take on something which was actually different from how I remember it while also going it's that guy from that thing that I haven't seen do this before and so that was a lot of fun then I watched a lot of British TV um I have to admit watching a lot of British TV is my weakness uh Ramsey's Kitchen Nightmares is still my favorite thing that's ever been invented um <laughs> there were two there were two really good dramas that came out this year uh Des which is on Sundance now it's only a three-part series 
about one of the most prolific serial killers, actually it might be the most prolific, I can't remember, uh, in history. David Tennant plays the title character. Basically, he was this guy that got away with killing, I think, like a dozen guys for so many years and then finally just confessed to the cops, just said, by the way, uh, I've, I've killed all these people. But because it's been so long, they have no evidence. They can't charge him with any of this. So the whole purpose of the miniseries is, you know, they're going head to head with this guy trying to find enough evidence to actually convict him <laughs> of all of these people that he killed. And I, I love David Tennant. Um, and I mean this as a compliment, I don't ever need to see him do this again. It was so disturbing and uncomfortable. He is remarkably good at playing bad guys. We've seen him do it before, but this has to be the best of it. And I was like, I can never watch this again because now I'm uncomfortable and this is going to ruin Doctor Who if I keep doing this. Um, Daniel Mays plays the lead detective in that. I love him from Line of Duty and uh, he's on a show called Code 404, which is on Peacock. Uh, I really enjoyed seeing him in that too. It was one of those shows, it's so intense and so disturbing. It's like, I'm glad I've seen it, never show this to me again. So <laughs> that, was, that was a highlight for me. But I think my, my favorite, and this was a big surprise, is a show called The Nest, which had its US premiere uh, in, uh, on Acorn TV. Martin Compston, who I absolutely love, he's the lead in Line of Duty and is just one of the most brilliant uh, actors I think working today. Uh, and then Sophie Rundle, who was in Bodyguard, he, she played Richard Madden's wife in Bodyguard. So I went, okay, I'm in on this. With those two actors and something like, I'm okay with this. And then I read the premise and went, this sounds like a Lifetime TV movie. Basically the premise is, they're a rich couple, they want desperately to get pregnant, she can't have kids. So they inexplicably run into this teenage girl who says, oh yeah, I'll, I'll be the surrogate and I'll carry your baby. But then of course, she ends up having some, I, I don't want to spoil it, but she has some issues and I went, this sounds like the plot of about 37 <laughs> Lifetime movies, right? Where she's gonna end up being a serial killer and this is just gonna be full of melodrama and I'm not gonna like this. And it actually didn't do that, which I was really shocked. I, especially as you get into the back half, it's only like, five, I think it was five or six episodes. It really ends up becoming a, a, a character-driven story. And, and there's not many moments where it's like, oh my God, this is so dramatic and sad and let's break out the cellos. And you know, it, it really avoided all of that. And I really got sucked into the dynamics of this couple and, and what family means to them and how they were gonna get themselves out of this. I, I think it has to be one of my favorite Martin Compton performances because he takes his character who could just be a total jerk, this you know, rich guy who has everything he wants and you know, he can basically get away with everything and you, you watch him slowly like mentally deteriorate. So like by episode five, he is so over everything that is happening and is about ready to lose his shit. And watching him do that was really cool because on Line of Duty, he doesn't get a lot of chances to do that. It's a cop show, they have bad guys to catch, there are things to do. So it was watching one really great actor in two completely opposite directions. And the only regret for me is it's over. It's one of those shows that was very carefully constructed with a beginning and a middle and an end. And so it's like, I wouldn't mind spending more time with these people. And I can't. So that was a, a I think that's why it tops my list is I, I came in going, I like these, these actors, but this is going to be terrible, right? And then by the end of it, I was like, no, this isn't terrible. I want to see what happens after this. And, and uh, I always love shows like that. I think my favorite kinds of shows are the shows where I, I end up not having a clue what's going on because I, I don't know if any of you have this problem, but you watch so much TV for so long, you start to understand how, how the sausage gets made and you start going, yeah, and I know that, or that doesn't phase me anymore or whatever. And, and with the nest, I was genuinely like, 
oh, I, I did not see that coming. That's, you know, this is really interesting now. And so that definitely tops my list, but I'm convinced I am one of like five people that actually watched it. So <laughs> that makes me sad because I can't share it with anybody. <laughs> Those are two extremely relatable feelings. The feeling of like, I watch so much TV or so many movies that like, when you can actively like feel yourself being like surprised or like, oh my gosh, like this is a feeling I haven't felt in a long time. And then also the feeling of discovering something like either in the middle of the night or some corner of the internet that you end up watching all of and you're like, all right, now who can I talk to about this? Where do I go with this? Where do I go with this excitement? For me, like I, I get like, I confuse myself sometimes because like when I'm surprised by something like I wonder like am I thinking that this is good or am I just like surprised like it caught like it catches you off guard but like in a good way and so like I really have to like go back and think like did I actually like this or did I just like not pick up where it was going and then I'm just like I don't know hit with something do you know what I'm saying does that make sense to anyone else yeah yeah I mean I can say that on the Des sounds pretty great I might watch that um, did you say that that was a real serial killer or, or yeah, a made-up one for the it's show? It's a real guy. It's a real guy. His name is Dennis Nilsson. Wikipedia this because I had, I had to. Like, I was not convinced that this was a real thing. It, it's, it's, he killed a lot of people for a long time. And then finally, I guess at one point, just decided I, I'm done and I'm going to go confess to the cops. And it, it's really, really weird. But it's kind of like, do you guys, did you guys watch Luther? Yeah. Basically, that's kind of what you're getting into. Not quite as long. It's only three episodes, but I mean, it's that same kind of like intense, like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm watching this and I kind of am uncomfortable now and I'd like to leave, but then I don't, you know, that, that kind of feeling. It's, it's right sure. in there with Luther for me in terms of glad I saw it, thoroughly disturbed, don't need to do it again. <laughs> also, I mean, in three episodes, not that long you have to watch it, which would be good for me, I think. That sounds good. Like a good three episode you're in, you're grossed out, you're out. And you're right, the tenant does play great films. I remember him and uh, Jessica Jones, that second season, as the yeah. super oh, God. villainous, creepy, <laughs> yeah. control guy. What's that guy's or name? Kill, is like it Kilgrave? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's it. I was trying to think of it. Like, it's some ridiculous <laughs> evil name. That's it. <laughs> See, I'm in for all those reasons, but I'm also scared because, <laughs> because I, like, like, he's like, I also love David Tennant, and, like, he's my favorite doctor, and, like, his other evil we've seen him do before has been like like not i mean he's he's done like the human villain or the human but it's also been like the like the killgrave that bryce just mentioned where it's like i've been able to like disconnect like david Tennant from the evil villains and be able to like applaud his acting and being evil like i get that i'm i'm fine there but what you were saying about like how it came like, right up to the edge for you has me spooked i'm like i don't i'm i don't know if i'm ready for this <laughs> you ever had that problem because i have there there are some actors like for some reason you can't separate them from some character and so you uh, irrationally dislike them because of some sure. it happened to me with, with um sports night shay do you remember because i know you watched the show the guy that played the network executive that kept showing up every couple of episodes and being a pain in the butt for the rest of my life, every time that actor appears in anything else, I irrationally hate this guy. Like, I am aware that that was a character that he played, and it's not that real. Dude. Every other show I've ever seen, it, I'm like, yeah, I, I want nothing to do with you. Like, I can't do it. I don't know if this is a story I should tell on a podcast, but I am anyways. Um, I don't remember <laughs> the character that it was, 
but I always hated Kevin Spacey because he played like some villain in some movie that I saw when I was young and I was like, he's basically a, like a monster. Checked out, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nailed it. For a long time, everyone was like, he's such Good a great instinct. actor. Like, why don't you like him? And I was like, I just don't. <laughs> but anyways. <laughs> I feel that. Uh, Manhunt Deadly Games, though, I had never heard of this. It's taking off on Netflix. So, Brittany, you are not alone there. There are millions of people watching that show with you. Finally! It hit, when, when did it hit Netflix? Because I didn't know they picked like, it up. Like, literally this week. The, oh, this good. week, I think. Yeah. Well, I missed it, because I didn't, I don't get Spectrum. I don't remember what cable provider that's through, so I missed the first thing, and then CBS picked it up and ran it mm -hmm. over the fall. And so I'm really glad that hopefully more people will see it, because, I mean, it took twice for me to notice it. Yeah. I had no idea what it was. I saw it like on the, you know, the Netflix top 10. That's how I'm yeah. like, what are people watching? Uh, yeah, it was like number two yesterday. It's probably number one today. I don't know. I haven't checked. But yeah, people <laughs> love the true crime stuff on Netflix. That's like not a surprise. So yeah, people watching. <laughs> I My problem with, Man not problem, but my hang up with Manhunt was that, and actually this says two things on your list that it's very close to Manhunter. And so for, I was like, is like, are these the same show? Is this one person like referring to the other one? And then the fact that you were saying that, like one of the people on Manhunt is also on Manhunter. I was like, I, this is, I should be smart enough for this, but I don't know if I am. <laughs> did, did, I, did I tell you what I discovered about my Netflix subscription last week? And Bryce knows this because Bryce and I had to talk about it. They sent us screeners for Cobra Kai because I was doing uh, the press junket for Cobra Kai. You can now not use Netflix press screeners unless you have an active Netflix subscription. I had actually terminated my subscription because I kind of rotate between streaming services. Yeah. Came in, to, in the morning to prep for the junk. It had to reactivate my Netflix subscription, eat the seven, whatever it was like, $13.99, $17.99, whatever it was, mm -hmm. to get access to the screeners, watch the screeners do the press junk. It. Then I was like, I guess I just have Netflix for another month now. Yeah. <laughs> They can do that Netflix. Meanwhile, I'm getting Amazon screeners like without even asking for them now. Yeah, Amazon is <laughs> very, very over the top. <laughs> Take them all. Take them all. <laughs> well, on the subject of Netflix, let's go to our Netflix Life Editor. Bryce, tell us your uh, top five. Yeah, I got a lot of Netflix stuff here. Um, number five for me, Ozark season three came out in March of this year. It feels like forever ago, but uh. Yeah, the first two seasons of Ozark were really popular. Everyone likes the show. Jason Bateman, Laura Linney, Julia Garner. Um, and it's got some Emmy love, too. I wasn't sold on the first couple seasons. Like, it felt Breaking Bad. Like, everyone was comparing it to that because you have, like, this guy, like, seemingly wholesome uh, guy played by Jason Bateman who um, breaks bad, starts, like, laundering money for um, some cartels. Uh, and it just didn't ever really hit. And then season three came out. They add Tom Pelfrey to the cast, um, give a bigger role to Janet McTeer, I think her name is. Um, and it's really, really good. Like, uh, they fix the problems with, like, the pacing. Um, the show's a little bit brighter, which I don't know if you guys noticed this when you watch, <laughs> but it's, like, very dark. Like, not, like, dark as it – well, it's dark content-wise, but it's also dark as in, like, where is the sun? Like, does it shine here? Uh, but, yeah, so they move to the Ozarks. It's – I really, really enjoyed the third season. Um, it's ending after season four, which I think comes out next year. So um, that that was really good. My next one also like kind of surprised me, and this goes back to like, was it good? Was I just surprised? Uh, what I was talking about earlier, but uh, Dave, which is the FX show or FXX show, I don't know. I watched it on Hulu. Um, 
but it's the show that like uh Lil Dicky the rapper made um and I had like very low expectations going into the show he's known for like um like uh his comedy um in his lyrics and music videos and stuff um and so I was like love very low expectations thought is could be like maybe I watched one episode I love this show like it takes it like peels back like um the like look it, it's just like a look into his life before he can't became or like a reimagination of his life if he never became like famous and was like trying to make it and it deals with like some really real world stuff like one of the characters um or one of the actors that plays a character in the show um is bipolar and they do a whole episode about um what it's like to be bipolar and stuff like that and it was just like really interesting to me i did not see this one uh this show hitting me as hard as it did and i really really liked it um third is the haunting of bly manor which i know is not a like a fan favorite i guess uh, a lot of people didn't like it because it wasn't as scary as hill house and like um like i get that criticism but for me like it was a totally like different show even though it had a lot of the same people in it and it was just like this really like beautiful ghost love story like tragedy basically and like by I started out like watching it being scared and by the end I'm like almost crying like oh my gosh like it, it like hit me in all the wrong ways I guess but I guess that's how they intended uh but yeah so that's number three um Dan mentioned the boys we talked about that a little bit on Amazon number one show for me though and uh is Outer Banks the teen uh treasure hunting drama uh so there it's set on the Outer Banks Islands apparently it's not filmed there it's filmed in South Carolina I don't know the geography and I don't really care um but on one side of the island you have um gosh what are they called like the kooks which are like this the rich kids basically that people who fly in for the summer or whatever and then you have the pogues on the other type of the island and they're like the like let like blue collar workers they like serve the um wealthier class there on it the, so you get this like instant conflict on the island between the two teen like rival groups and then to top it all off you get this like goonies level treasure hunt shipwreck there's all this gold missing everyone's trying to find it um john b played by chase stokes who's really good his dad um goes missing at sea while he's like looking for this treasure and then his group of friends uh, try to find the treasure. And uh, it's so good. It's coming back for season two. And yeah, that's my favorite show of the year so far. Bryce, I or love your love of Outer Banks, which I did not realize was as great <laughs> as it is. But I feel like over the last couple of weeks of like, recording, recording these podcasts with you, you bring it up like every week. <laughs> that's like one of my things. I talk about it all the time. I've seen and it like three that. times already. <laughs> and I, it's almost convinced me that like I need to watch the Teen Treasure Hunt show just so I can understand what it's all about. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I don't uh, know. It is just, Outer Banks a Netflix show? Yes. It is Netflix, yeah. Okay, great. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's, I don't know what it is about it, but it's just like, I love Goonies. Um, it doesn't go like full Goonies though. This is, sticks more like, I don't know, like, I want to say like Dawson's Creek it sort of reminds me of but like I I can't exactly say why it reminds me of that but yeah I think that if you like teen uh teen dramas the Outer Banks is a must must watch and I'm not alone we did a poll on Netflix life and a lot of people liked it Shay I'm just kidding <laughs> 
I, I'm glad that there you have so many follow. Do, does the Outer Banks fandom have a name? Are you guys like Bankies or something? I, see, I don't know about that. Uh, yeah, there, it's like OBX is like the uh, like initials for the show, which I don't get, but that seems kind of cool. OBX. <laughs> <laughs> Neat. Um, well, that's very fun. I, Dave has been on my list for a long time as well, because that was one that like premise wise, I was like, mm, I think I can pass. And then like literally everyone whose TV opinion I trust was like, it's, it's amazing. You should watch it. I guess I should watch yeah, it. Yeah. Like, and even like the first episode, I wasn't like totally sold, but like, as you start watching it, like you get very invested in the lives of these characters, which is like the cell, like what you want in every good show. Right. Sure. It kind of sounds like legit. Do you guys remember when FX did legit? I don't. It, it, it was kind of the same thing. It was Jim Jeffries, and he was basically playing a version of himself, too, but he was off getting in all kinds of... It kind of sounds like that, so I, I might have to check it out, because I remember enjoying Legit when that was on. Yeah, I, it's definitely it's definitely like that, like a person like kind of riffing on their own life, I guess. Interesting. You think that uh, Ozark is being canceled too soon? I know there was a, 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 a small bit of uproar over that, that Netflix is canceling shows again, or is it the right time? Yeah, I I mean, like, for me, like, it, I guess it depends if, like, is this when, like, the creative team, like, wants to go out? Like, we never really know with Netflix, like, what, everyone is so secretive that, like, we never really know. It seems like it's just getting good, and that's the part that's, like, kind of disappointing, is, like, it, like, it peaked at season three like hopefully they can keep going up but i'm i'm scared that it's gonna like fall back down because we like you know in those like crime shows especially like breaking bad or whatever like the mystery or not the mystery like the intrigue is like how do they keep doing it right like how do they keep like just getting away like oh they like narrowly escape every time like in so like how many how like can they keep doing that i guess for like longer than four seasons probably not because now you have like everyone it's like that spider-man meme like everyone's like pointing at each other but like with guns now and so like it has to go down eventually right sure. it, it's like the gilligan's island complex you knew you, you know every week it was like oh we're working on some way to get off the island and you were like you're never getting off the island because then there wouldn't yeah. be a show <laughs> yeah so they have to like they can't exactly like escape and like start a normal life somewhere else and they can't like kill all the bad guys so they have to just like stay in this like weird um i don't know caught in between like the fbi and the cartels basically and then like all their rivals in the little ozark mountain lakes yeah i'm probably I'd... surprised when like that was winning all the the emmys for like the second or third season or whatever and it was like Best Actor, Justin Bateman, and Best Director. And I'm like, I knew it was, like, had a following, but I didn't know it was that big, you know? Yeah, it, it was kind of weird when it was winning the awards. Like, I think that this season, like, if they were, they probably won't win awards now because they, like, sure, won, them, sense, won them yeah. the last times. But, like, they deserve it for this season. Julia Gardner, though, I think she won for Supporting Actress. or um, She's really, really good. Um, I think she's also going to be in another... Netflix show that's going to be she'll probably get nominated for that next year but uh yeah she's I think she's probably the best part of the show um it's weird seeing Jason Bateman though too he basically plays um 
like everyone knows him from Arrested Development, right? But he basically plays like Michael Bluth again in this show. He like <laughs> is the reason why that the family is like on the run, but like they're also he's also like the one that's just like barely holding it all together. And so it's just like he's basically playing the same role, which is like sort of refreshing to see like after all of these years. <laughs> That is, yeah, I think the Ozark thing is going to be interesting just as far as the last, it's weird when Netflix cancels this early because it's like either the last season is fine and everyone's like, well, this is good, or the last season's amazing and everyone's like, why, oh, we want it more. But. Yeah, and I think, so they're doing the, the Netflix thing again that they always do, and they are doing the final season, but they're cutting it in half into two parts, and mm -hmm. so I think we'll probably see, like, seven episodes next year and then like maybe seven episodes in 2022 and so like it'll it's one season but it'll feel they'll like they'll stretch it out over like two years or like two award season runs is like i'm sort of convinced that's why that they do that because they if they get like hit the like or like uh release the show in time they can hit two award seasons with the same season yeah as an editor that always annoys me because then we have to come up with really lanky headlines that's like Ozark season yeah. four part one episode <laughs> three and like it, then when do you restart do you restart at part two episode one or is it part two yeah. episode six that's really the first or is it part. <laughs> yeah or people just call it season five and then you can't call it season five because you're not like being right but it's that's what everyone else is calling it it's a very like slippery slope here if one could only watch one uh, season of um the haunting would it be Bly Manor or Hill House? Hill House for sure. I like Hill House okay. better, but it didn't come out this year. Uh, it's it's just scarier and there's more. Um, I don't know. The characters seem like they're a little bit better. This one is like like it's a family coming together basically, it, like to get through this whole Bly Manor business, but like. Hill House is a family that was like already together and then is like apart and then is coming back together. So you get this sure. like history of the family that like adds like another layer of like intrigue and mystery. And it's so scary. Like the old, the old stuff when they were kids at the house is like kids in a haunted house. There's a reason yeah, like we still keep wrong. doing it. It's scary. <laughs> yeah. Kids in horror in general is always a, a fast track to scariness. Yeah, kids are just scary. <laughs> From our new father. <laughs> yes, that's the yes. guy with two kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, that's all the time we have today. Thank you, Brittany, and thank you, Dan, for joining us as we recapped our favorite shows of 2020 and went on various Netflix-related tangents. This is our last episode of the year and my last episode as a co-host, but don't worry. Bryce will be back in the new year with more TV and movie recommendations to keep your cue well and full of good things to watch.